Seeing Prime by Cortex, a show where we sit down to talk Cortex mechanics, explore settings with Cortex designers, and see what's happening in the Cortex community. I'm your host Kirby, and today we are going to be talking about assets, what they are, how they can fit in your next Cortex game, and what they can be. But first, we do have some news since my last episode. At the time of this recording, Direwolf Digital has acquired Fandom's tabletop business. If you weren't already aware, Cortex Prime was brought on by Fandom after a successful Kickstarter. As we learned with the breaking news, Fandom had apparently been looking to exit from the RPG business, having sold D&D Beyond to Hasbro. And yeah, if, if you haven't already <laughs> realized, Wizards of the Coast, like D&D did not already own D, uh, D&D Beyond. That was Fandom. After this deal, they spent some time looking for the right home for Cortex Prime. And they found it. Right now, Tales of Zadia, the Sunfire Chronicle, is still in development. However, this news does compare with the news that the Masters of the Universe game, uh, which was also going to be primed by Cortex, is indefinitely paused. It is unclear if it will be revisited, but we do know the opportunity is still there to revisit it in the future, according to a spokesperson from, I believe, fandom had stated as much, uh, not Direwolf Digital. Now, with all that out of the way, in this episode, you're going to be hearing bits of flash fiction pre-recorded by my friends at the Vanguard Actual Play Podcast. We're going to be talking about assets, interrogating the fiction, and fictional positioning. Stay tuned. You rush out of the woods and find yourself in front of a mighty wall, the product of a century of work by the giants of old. Its stone cut smooth with an almost preternatural perfection. You've lost the horde for now, but this wall stands between you and freedom. What do you do? Can I try to climb the wall? Well, without special equipment, adequate time, or the right spell, unfortunately no. What if I cast my signature spell, Melt with Stone, D6? Well, actually, we haven't established whether that would let you move through stone, but we can try. At some point, if you've gamed long enough, we eventually have this conversation that sort of sounds like what we just heard. Whether it's Cortex, Pathfinder, or another game of your choice, we have all had these conversations. This is what some games and communities would refer to as interrogating the fiction which is a topic I want to get into a little bit before we talk about assets and Cortex. Interrogating the fiction is, to me, so intricately interlaced with the topic of fictional positioning that I'll be talking about that too. Fictional positioning is the position in which objects, people, etc. are in relation to one another in the fiction. It could mean literal positioning, where our fighter and wizard are standing before a wall and the horde is, quote, someplace nearby. Or it could be more figurative uh, or abstract, like how our wizard can do magic. Already we can see that our fighter can't climb the wall in our example because they don't have any special gear or notable abilities that will let them circumvent this idea that the wall's too smooth to just free climb. But 
our wizard uh, has been positioned to not only cast magic, but we've already established that they have a spell that interacts with the material that our wall is made of, just maybe not quite the way it was originally intended. And we imagine the conversation before or after the example we just had, we maybe previously established that in this setting, magic could be tweaked a little bit. There's pre-made spells, sure, but these are just techniques that have reliably worked. They've been perfected by other wizards. So when our wizard, Shira, asked about a spell that normally lets them meld with stone and then pop back out in the same spot just before the melding, that was a little bit of interrogating the fiction. Whether we verbally uh, do it or it's the GM who is just thinking it out uh, to make their decision, interrogating the fiction considers what has already been established or what might be established. It considers how potent an ability like the wizard spell is in the scale that it can work at. This may seem time consuming. Sometimes it is, especially when you're roping players into the conversation. But I find that many GMs and players are doing this quickly and without really thinking about it all the time. In an established setting that everyone's familiar with, we just ask ourselves if this is something we've seen in the setting before and whether it would be cool or possible to do something new. In a homebrew setting, you'll probably have these conversations the most. Understanding fictional positioning and interrogating the fiction, I think, is a big part in improving any aspect of your Cortex gaming. When I talk assets with new players and particularly new GMs, there's this concern that a mechanic like plot points and assets would derail the game or somehow take power away from the GM. While Cortex is very explicitly designed to take power from the GM already, but even so, most players are making asset decisions based on their fictional positioning, whether they realize it or not. It would have to take a player being intentionally difficult, playing in bad faith, in my opinion, to derail things, and frankly, if that's the case, then they didn't need to have the asset mechanic to do so. The player who is in, say, a slasher horror movie situation, where we've established that they've been swimming the lake, isn't going to suddenly create an asset and say that there's a perfectly working helicopter on shore just because they have the plot point. With that in mind, let's take a look at how assets are created in Cortex and what they even are. Bear in mind, we'll be talking about assets as it pertains to the Cortex Prime Handbook as Tales of Zadia handles it a little differently. You push through the wall, blind and deaf to the world, feeling the vibrations of everything around you intensify with every step. Then, when you thought you couldn't handle it anymore, you pop back out into the world, hand in hand as you have breached the other side of the wall. Take a fatigued D6 complication. Standing before the naked, rolling hills of the Forbidden Lands, your mission is far from over. What do you do? We're gonna need to rest soon. Is it safe? Can we maybe rest and have a good meal to get rid of this complication? Yeah, that Owl of Supplies D12 complication has been kicking your butt all session. You feel the exhaustion burning in. How do you go about this? You're not really in position to just have a nice meal going, but you can try to dig through your pack and see what you have. I'm gonna try to see if there's anyone near us or you know, anything we can hunt instead. Try to shake off both these complications. Are there any tall hills or trees I can climb? There's seemingly no trees here. Oh, I have the Vernon Sprout spell from that old witch two sessions back. Can I cast that? I'll spend a plot point to turn it into an asset. When she does that, 
can I maybe roll to create some sort of asset that helps to navigate? Sure. Take her asset and add it to your pool, and if you're successful, we'll say you created a, let's call it, a bearings asset. I still have this spyglass from earlier in the session. Could I give it to James? Yeah, just spend a plot point to hand it off. Success. Uh, can I make this a mysterious tracks D8 instead? Absolutely. So you find these tracks just over yonder. Simply put, assets are anything that's going to be helpful in a given situation. They can be objects or gear like a climbing kit or a royal seal. They can be circumstantial like having the high ground. They could represent conditions like rage or inspired. There's a lot to be said about assets because there's a lot that assets can be. They're created by spending plot points, which normally defaults them to a d6, or by rolling to create them, which normally creates them at whatever the effect die is. By default, they last a scene. With another plot point, they can last a session. A third way they're created are by special effects. You will often see these referred to as stunts when they are, and they're usually d8s instead. In vanilla cortex, it really doesn't hurt to just call them stunts or assets uh, interchangeably. In future Cortex games, or maybe in your own Cortex build, it could be useful to have the distinction between stunts and assets in the same way that we call ones hitches and opportunities depending on who rolled the one. For example, maybe in your build, assets are always just useful for a single test, contest, or challenge in the same way that they are for Tales of Zadia. But stunts are useful for the scene. Spending a plot point in this hypothetical build makes assets good for the scene and stunts good for the session and so forth. The way an asset works in Vanilla Cortex is that it gives you a die to add to your pool. Note that something doesn't have to be an asset to already use it. In our previous example, our wizard didn't have Verdant Sprout as an asset on their sheet. It was just something we've established before and they could absolutely have still casted the spell without spending a plot point to make an asset. Spending a plot point just gives it more dramatic weight. On the same note, just because something isn't an asset anymore doesn't mean that that goes away. If our fighter didn't spend a plot point earlier in the session to keep the spyglass D8 around, they would still very much have that spyglass. It just wouldn't have added a die unless someone spent a plot point or test created an asset. Finally, just because something was never an asset doesn't mean that it needs to be in order to be special. A wizard's staff, a fighter's frost axe, or the ranger elf's ability to see better in the dark does not need to be an asset. Assets aside, if we're trying to keep the character sheet light, we'll find that fictional position and interrogating the fiction before, during, or after gameplay can help with that. When we understand that in the setting in this game, the elf can see in darker environments, we no longer have to have an asset distinction, special effect, etc. to represent that. That is something for you or the table to decide. Tales of Zadia, for example, explicitly says that you have to have a distinction that says you're magical, whether you're a human dark mage uh, or not, to be able to cast spells, for example. And there's nothing wrong with that. Additionally, as we saw in the example, assets are a great way for the table to tackle a problem without dogpiling onto it. In Cortex, there's a lot of ways that players can help each other out. A common way has been to just loan an appropriate die from the character sheet. A more colorful way to help are spending plot points or doing these test-created assets because suddenly it adds texture to the situation. 
our wizard isn't just passing their d6 magic die. No, instead, there is suddenly a, a verdant sprout d6 asset, and we have a magical tree that springs from the ground. When we come across obstacles like a showdown between the party and the big bad guy, but we're not using stuff like action order, but rather contest because you're like me and you like it complicated, resolving what assets are being created and handed off before the contest helps to keep on top of things better. The beast rears up on its haunches, head thrown back as its body braces itself to launch another blast of acid, its mouth already foaming. What do you do? I take my frost axe out and throw it. It says it's a d4 with throwing, but I don't want to get near that thing. While she's doing that, can I use the Mirror of Sorrows? I have a special effect that creates a mirror image stunt, and it gets a d10 against beasts. The axe is thrown, looping past and then arcing around until it strikes the creature in its back. Meanwhile, a wizard conjures a multiple images of themselves that confuses the beast. James, what are you doing? You said the beast is wearing scraps of the cleric's clothing, right? I want to use my relationship die and try to talk the beast down. Assets as more permanent traits usually manifest as signature assets. These tend to be iconic things about your character, like maybe their special ride or their iconic gun, or maybe they have a membership to the local wizarding guild. An asset can cover our bases when we don't already have a trait. And the good news about assets is that they can cover our bases when we don't already have a tray on the sheet that we might see in other Cortex games. For example, our ranger, played by James, created an asset earlier in the session where they established a relationship die with the cleric. To take it a step further, maybe James later created a value die for Faith as, as a motivation here. In either case, for this hypothetical game, relationships and values are not normal trace sets. The good thing about assets is that they can let us highlight something for a scene or a session that we're not normally paying attention to for the game overall. In this fake game with James, maybe I did a character-centric session and made it abundantly clear that's what it was, so James used this to color his assets in a way that maybe he wouldn't have normally done. Additionally, assets can sit on our sheet in a way that's different than presented in the book. We have signature assets, sure, but maybe we have assets as power sets. This might be more appealing for the game that is more loot-driven, where instead of having signature assets, we repackage the asset with varying little details like what situations or against whom they're good for. Much like affiliations, but tailored to the assets. Maybe it has special effects that work like Tales of Zadia magical items, but here you're locking it by the dice and the power sets themselves. We can suddenly imagine having the classic fantasy adventure, and when the players find some loot, just sliding an index card over to the player who discovered it. Another interesting idea that's not explored in the books are maybe assets as trait statements, where you would spend a plot point or roll to create an asset. It still gets that die, of course, but now it's attached to characters or scenes, and like a normal trait statement, they can be questioned. Suddenly, our ranger, who established a forest, they entered with the statement that reads, quote, a serene forest with plentiful bounty D8, becomes questioned when the GM reveals unusual tracks of a beast that shouldn't be there. Suddenly, the scene asset, this scene trait statement, may have a change of identity. However, assets looking at your game, 
whether you're doing it by the book or taking dumb ideas from me, always keep in mind that there are opportunities. There are a chance to color the situation in a way that wasn't already defined before in words or on the character file. As always, you can find our socials in the show notes. The music you heard today was Underglow by Shane Ivers. Lyra played our fighter, Shira our wizard, and James our ranger. All three are from a friend of the show, the Vanguard podcast, a mutants and masterminds actual play in which I'm merely just a player for. I'll have the links for them in the show notes as well, and we'll see you next time.